On this episode of This Week in Linux, we'll talk about the new lockdown feature in the Linux kernel that's coming. We've got a lot of distro news this week with Red Hat announcing CentOS Stream, Solid XK10, Laka 2.3.1, and more. Ubuntu has revealed their plans for the 32-bit support in Ubuntu going forward. Later in the show, we'll take a look at some beta releases for Ubuntu with the Ubuntu flavors for 19.10 and the beta for KDE Plasma 5.17. Purism has released some demo videos for their first incomplete batch of the Librem 5 devices known as the Aspen branch. We'll talk about that and a new RSI tool called Safe Eyes to help with eye strain. In legal news, the GNOME Foundation announced they are being sued over a ridiculous software patent. We'll break this down to explain why software patents are awful. Then we'll finish up the show with a couple Humble Bundle for games, books, and even some Linux and Unix training. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimizing, managing, and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to a world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. This is actually awesome because the the tutorials are not only... Now, they not only have 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials, they also have uh, the updates of these tutorials. And if there's ever a new tutorial created that is a newer version of a previous one, if you go to the old one, it'll say click here for the latest version. Like the, So they keep up to date with all the stuff. And also cloud agnostic, meaning that if you don't use DigitalOcean, these tutorials are still going to be helpful. So DigitalOcean does a lot of great stuff. Uh, but you can even get started with a really great deal of you know one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. Again, you can start it on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. Thanks again for DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. And also, we're gonna, I'm going to talk to you, and then if you go, go into the housekeeping section, we're going to talk about some stuff that I've been doing with, this, with DigitalOcean because, yeah, it's, it's, it's so helpful. It's so useful. Anyway, I'm excited to talk to you about that, so... Get, be sure to check out the housekeeping section later in the show. Up first in the show this week is Linus Torvalds has approved the new lockdown kernel module feature. So the Linux lock, lockdown patches have been found in various different distribution kernels for years, and the mainline process went through dozens of rounds of review to address various issues and ensure all bases are covered for tightening up the kernel's interaction with the system hardware before actually implementing this lockdown feature. Because if they had done so without all this testing and review, there could have been some negative effects on that part. But they've now decided that if they have gone through all these reviews and they have decided that it is able to be uh, instituted into the, the kernel, it won't be done by default. You'll have to turn it on, and I'll get to that in a second. But the new feature's primary function will be to strengthen and the divide between user land processes and kernel code by preventing even the root account from interacting with the kernel code. This is actually pretty good because this is better for you know various things. Well, mainly specifically, the most use most common use case would be the pairing with UEFI secure boot and other security sensitive environments needing the lockdown functionality to be you know much much more compatible with 
those types of features, like this UF, UEFI type thing. So uh, when you enable this, the Linux lockdown mode prevents the system from hibernating as one of the examples of the user-facing restriction, as well as blocking rights to dev slash mem, even as root. And you can also and also blocks kernel module parameters that touch hardware bits, restricting CPU MSR access and a variety of other restrictions for tightening up the security. So it's off by default, but if someone wants to activate it, like a distribution wants to activate it, they can, or even a user, uh, they can activate it by using the lockdown equals uh, kernel parameter to do so. If you'd like to learn more about this particular topic, I'll have a link to these uh, mailing list post as well as some other stuff in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a really interesting announcement from Red Hat. Red Hat is releasing a new version of CentOS called CentOS Stream. They also released CentOS 8, which is based on RHEL, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8, which is one in itself good for the community to have a you know RHEL compatible distribution, which is CentOS. But they're doing something really interesting now. They're doing CentOS Stream, and it will be a rolling release like Arch, Tumbleweed, and Solus. Now, I don't know for sure if CentOS is still going to be a thing and CentOS Stream is going to be replacing CentOS or they're going to have them separate. That's going to be interesting to find out. I'll have to talk to someone at Red Hat to find out that specific because it was I couldn't figure I could I didn't see it in their blog post, but maybe I just missed that. Anyway, so if that's the case, either way, that's cool. But so what CentOS Stream is doing is a rolling release like Arch, Tumbleweed, and Solus, which is really interesting because you know, enterprise distributions are not known for having a rolling release. That's actually kind of unheard of. It's actually ridiculous in some ways. Uh, but the way they're doing it is very interesting. So, you know, there's there's the traditional way distributions release stuff is, you know, six months to a year. And sometimes when those distributions are not updated, things happen in between that make something incompatible. More specifically, like supporting new hardware, applications or just like leading edge technologies you know like brand new stuff doesn't always work and in many ways often doesn't work because of like some stuff with like amd hardware being a part of the kernel which is fantastic by the way uh, sometimes distributions don't update those the kernel that much and therefore the support could be six months to a year later before you finally get support for that hardware and that's just not ideal. So I don't know if this is actually going to be making it possible for CentOS to do those things in in the future. I don't know if that's what they're if they're going to be doing that, but it is possible that they might be. Uh, we'll see how that works. But anyway, so Red Hat has taken notice that this gap exists, and they're trying to do an accelerated uh, server space system, which is pretty interesting. So at this point, you might be thinking, isn't what isn't Fedora the purpose of Fedora is to get a you know a rolling r- roughly relatively rolling system that is then they do all their innovation and stuff like that and then put it into rail and the answer to that is yes however this is still going to be the same like Fedora is still going to have the same position it always has CentOS is just going to be like moved a little bit so it, at the current state it was Fedora then to Red Hat then to CentOS so that CentOS was the open source community version, but it you had to wait a very long time in order to get that version. So you, you, you wait for the length of time that Rail takes, then you wait another few months or so, not sure exactly how many months it takes usually, 
but for CentOS to come out after that, and it takes a little longer. So this is kind of moving the CentOS piece in between Fedora and Red Hat, or RHEL. So the new versions will have Fedora being the upstream, and then CentOS will take stuff from Fedora as a midstream, and then RHEL will stay as the stable commercial operating system that it's always been. Now, I don't know if they're going to then, you know, make a new version of CentOS to start off with in terms of like, say, you know, let's say Fedora releases stuff and then CentOS gets it and then you then put it into RHEL and then RHEL becomes RHEL 9 and then CentOS snapshots off that to be CentOS 9 or if they're just going to have it a constant rolling uh, structure. I haven't, I couldn't find the answer for that one, but hopefully we'll get some information in the future about that. Because either, anyway, either way they're doing it, it's really interesting, and I think it's pretty cool because CentOS um, basically is, is the value of it is it's commercial, it's a community open source version of RHEL, and in that, but the issue is that you have to wait even longer to get RHEL stuff because you know RHEL takes forever, not forever. Cause that's the whole. That sounds derogatory, basically, but. Um, it's not because you know Debian does the same thing where it's just a very slow roll or you know, very slow release uh, cadence because therefore the enterprise structure and they want to make sure that literally everything is solid before they release and that's the way that they take like four years or five years or sometimes even longer than that to make new year, new versions and this way CentOS will still get up get updates more often uh, but we're not will still be more of a stable version rather than Fedora just you know being the cutting edge thing that it is. So this is a really interesting thing. If you'd like to know more about this, I'll have a link to the announcement that Red Hat gave on their website in the show notes below. Up next in the show, the GNOME Foundation has been, has been sued by a patent troll. Well, allegedly a patent troll, and I would say definitely a patent troll in my opinion, um, because... You know, patent trolls are, are are basically like they take advantage of the system and use loopholes and just ridiculous stuff to uh, justify suing people over nothing. And in this case, that's what they're doing, and they're targeting Shotwell, the free and open source photo management app that GNOME makes. And of course, they're not targeting Shotwell itself. They're targeting the GNOME Foundation because the GNOME Foundation is big enough for them to sue and try to get money from. Now, this is a known problem in the U.S. market for uh, patent trolls and that there is even a section in te- West Texas. There's a city in West Texas that is known for having m- most of the patent trolls in the country having a uh, having their business, their, you know, virtual businesses located there because the. For some reason, the town judges or whatever are very pro-patent trolls or something. I don't know, but they, they get away with this crap all the time. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, the lawsuit has been filed by the Rothschild Patent Imaging LLC. So they all these people are also in that area in West Texas, by the way. It's not like it's a company who happens to be doing something that is being violated in some way. It's just it's just a patent troll, basically, in my opinion. Anyway, so um, it's been filed by the Rothschild Patent Imaging LLC. So uh, you know where the email should be going once you hear the story. So Gnome says this about the situation. Gnome Foundation has been made aware of a lawsuit from Rothschild Patent Imaging LLC over patent 
nine million nine hundred thirty-six thousand eighty-six. So zero eight six. Rothschild alleged that Shotwell, a free and open source photo manager, infringes this patent. Now, what is this patent exactly? Well, basically, the patent that Shotwell is allegedly in violation of is related to getting phone photos off a connected device, like sending a photo from a camera to a computer, or using an SD card to put the stuff onto a computer or over a network or whatever. Basically, the thing that thousands and thousands of applications do, because that's just a common sense thing to do if you're making something on one device, you need another device to do other things with it, like manipulate the images. Like, let's say, for example, you take a picture on a camera and you need to organize those pictures. You would put it on your computer with a photo manager like Shotwell. And they're saying that the path to go from the camera to Shotwell is patented by them. And that's just ridiculous. That is so crazy not only is it crazy that they're doing this, it's ridiculously and kind of insane that the software patents system even exists, like that the government allows this thing to exist. And yes, it's a U.S. government patent, uh, but this is a just ridiculous concept because software patents aren't, it's not like they're copywriting source code. It's not like that. It's not a trademark thing where they actually have like a brand infringement or whatever. It is patents are really a way to they're basically a way to copyright an idea like not actually copyright but you know that kind of thing for an idea so if you have an idea that can easily be replicated you request a patent for it and then if you get a patent it says you have this amount of time where no one else can do the thing that you were doing based on this patent now, these software patents have a ridiculous long life sh- uh, shelf life. For, I don't know why, but they, they have pretty long. They shouldn't even exist at all because they're just ridiculous. Like even Apple has an, a software patent that's just crazy where you have they have a patent that they have actually tried to defend, uh, I mean, I think successfully even, where if you want to open your phone from left to right, that swiping function is a software patent for Apple. It's like, why does that exist? Like that's just ridiculous that somehow you can have control over the idea of swiping left to right to open a screen or open the device. I mean, and this is the same kind of thing. Having the a, a control and the ownership of an idea to move files from one device to another, it's just crazy. But the Gideon Foundation's uh, uh, the executive director, Neil McGovern, says that they intend to vigorously defend against this baseless lawsuit, which is great. I'm not sure how much this is going to cost, but it will probably cost a lot because basically what happens with these uh, software pat- or these patent trolls is basically what happens, you know, alleged, uh, in my opinion, patent troll. They, what they do is they sue a company for so much money and also the the cost it would take to go to court is so much money that they then offer a settlement fee. And if you settle, they'll just brush it under the rug and they'll say, oh, okay, cool, we settled, blah, blah. And they'll make that percentage of the, the percentage of what the settlement is so much lower than the actual going to cost to go into court so that most companies will just do it and just say, just go away. And 
that's how these patent trolls work. They basically just threaten and you know say, hey, but if you don't want to go through this process, you can just give us this smaller amount, and then they do that a thousand times, and that's how they get money off this company. And they and to be fair, I understand their logic in doing this and for the companies to settle because it's just not worth the hassle. But that's really kind of why these patent trolls exist because all these companies are doing it. So I'm really happy that the GNOME Foundation says that they they intend to vigorously defend it because maybe once some companies are defending it, they can stop this nonsense from happening in the future. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Maybe it's a pipe dream. I don't know. Hopefully at some point the patent troll or the software patents concept will go away because it is completely worthless. If you'd like to learn more about this particular topic, I'll have a link to the GNOME uh, Foundation announcement on this in the show notes. Up next in the show is Purism. They have released the video demos of the first batch of the Librem 5 shipping stuff. So we finally have a much better look at how the Purism Librem 5 phone is coming along. Purism has released demo videos of the first shipping incomplete batch called the Aspen, uh, Aspen batch for the Librem 5. And it's interesting because they're actually showing, I think this is the first time they've shown a video of the completed device, well, incomplete device, uh, you know, put together because the rest of all the other videos I could find were like development kits and that sort of thing. And also when they had like photos, they were, you know, you didn't really see much in the photos. You don't really see much on this because they don't pick up the phone, but there is another version, another video on uh, this, on their channel that has where they're holding the phone, but they don't, you know, change the angle or whatever. So, um, it's a very limited angle of what you can see, but it is nice to show that they are showing how it works and how responsive it is and that sort of thing. So I am happy to say that the video demonstrates the phone looks a lot better than previous announcements suggested it would. When they said it was incomplete and things were not finished and like it was going to be loosely fit and all this other stuff, they made it seem like it was going to be really janky. It's not super janky, but it's just it's incomplete. Uh, so I'm happy that it's not as bad as I expected it to be. So. It's most certainly far from complete, but the video shows a little, um, you know, imp- good responsiveness in certain aspects. There is a little sluggish in certain areas, like in terms of how responsive it is to open apps. But once the apps are open, then they, the, the apps themselves seem pretty responsive. So that's really cool. Um, so the, I mean, it is a seven hundred dollar low spec smartphone still. Uh, even if you, you know, even for the ideology that I, I'm really wanting this thing to be an, uh, a success because I do want an open source uh, centric phone. It's not open source by any stretch in the sense of like the hardware. The open source, it's an operating system that's open source and there is things that they're doing in an open source philosophy approach like trying to be able to make it possible to replace parts and that kind of thing. Like that's really good. So I do, I do think that's really awesome that they're doing this. But it's still a pretty low spec smartphone for seven hundred dollars. It's it's a premium price for low spec smartphone. So I don't know. And also the whole not invented here thing, where they made their own operating system rather than using ones that already existed. But you know, hey, that's what they wanted to do. So it's still going to be a, a large pill to swallow for most people. But it doesn't look as bad as I feared it might. That's not to say it looks good, because well, it's quite thick and thick with two C's. Uh, but it does look a lot better than I expected it to. They need to paint the back because it's like that weird silver color that, you know, just spray paint that or something. I don't know. Anyway, 
Overall, I hope we get some reviews from unbiased parties on this device as soon as possible, though I also wonder if it's even worth reviewing it before the Evergreen version batch comes out next year, because that will be the version that's actually complete. And is it even worth reviewing the non-complete versions? I don't know. That's up to you to decide if you do review this video, this phone and you do decide to back it, or if you had, if you had backed it and you choose to decide to keep it, you know, I would be interested in see what kind of what kind of experience it is. So let me, if you do review it, send me a video in an email or on a comment or whatever. I would like to see that. So I want Prism to prove me wrong in my fears about this device. I don't see it happening right now. Maybe next year when Evergreen comes out, but um, you know, I guess it's good that they have a video on it now. And they're actually showing it working. So. There you go. If you'd like to see this video, these couple videos, I'll have a link to both of them in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Ubuntu reveals their plan for the future of 32-bit support in Ubuntu. So based, they say on their forum, based on our commitment to continue to support i386 user space in Ubuntu, after they were yelled at for not doing so, we have assembled a list of packages for which we have been able to determine there is user demand based on the feedback up to this point. The packages listed below are the ones we are committed to carrying forward to committing to carry forward to 2004 on parity with AMD 64. A list of 244 source packages have been are have been put on the the thing. Basically actually it's more of a they show a list of like 102 and then the dependencies of those are also included so that's the, where the 244 packages comes from and they say that they we will ensure keeping keeping these working for i386 they also say if you have any packages you think should be included that are not in that list as well uh wait any need to be this should be included as well that are not in that list there you go they say that you know you could send them a message or comment on the thread uh this the discourse thread about what those packages can be and they will consider supporting more. So I'll have a link to the discourse thing. So if you'd like to respond to them on their Ubuntu dash or Ubuntu community section forum, uh, we'll have a link to that. And this is really good because uh, basically on the estimate I gave when we first talked about this, you know, when they first announced they were going to drop 32-bit and people were like, stop it, including me, was like, don't do that. That's ridiculous. Even Valve was like, no. Um, so... At the time, my estimate was around 250 packages. You know, 240 to 250, 260 packages, somewhere like that. And they're now showing that they have 244, which to me seems like it will have a significant amount of the stuff that's necessary. There's probably going to be a few more here and there because they could reference the other distributions that are doing the same thing and how many they have. But it is nice that they are putting in the effort to make sure that the i386 stays because 32-bit is necessity in many ways, like wine and uh, game, like pretty much all games these these days still are using 32-bit. Not all games, but most games. And Valve is, is needs it, and uh, Proton needs it, and all this other stuff. So it's good that they're keeping it, and it's good that they're show, they're being open about what all the packages are available and requesting you know responses from people to get more packages in there if they want to. I like that. It's really cool. They only say that they're going. You know, carrying it forward to 2004. They don't mention 2010, so or 20.10 technically. Um, uh, hopefully, that's this is just like you know, you know, they're not they're just not going to say we're going to keep it for, forever. But they do have intention to do 20.10. I hope so because it will be a while before 32-bit these core packages will be 
able to be completely removed. It'll be a significant amount of time from now to then. So hopefully they will continue after 2004. But we'll see on that one. If you'd like to learn more about this and uh, you know give your opinion about what packages could, should stay, I have a link in the show notes below to this announcement on their forum. Before we move on with the show, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. And this is going to be a few pieces where I just explain some things about the show and as you know, things that you can get in addition to the show, that sort of thing. So first of all, the there's an audio feed that you can subscribe to, which is an RSS feed. You can subscribe to it in by going to tuxdigital.com slash this week in Linux and get the RSS feed and just put it in whatever app you want. Or you can do it through your podcast app, whether you're using Podcast Addict or Pocket Cast or Castbox or whatever. Any, basically any application that allows to subscribe to podcast, there should be a way to to get the this show in those apps. I I'm pretty sure I got it on everything. I might not have. If I missed anything, let me know. I I've tried to do my best to get it in every every platform. So be sure to let me know if you do find one that's not in, because I would like to fix that. Also, we have a segment index for this show. Now, a segment index is basically what I call a timestamp collection. So if you want to check out certain topics of the show, you can do so really easily by going to the, des- the description in the show on the video or going to the bookmarks on the podcast feed, and you can choose which topic you want to, do- you want to check out and when you want to check them out. You, you can, skip, you can you know, skip things, but always go back, of course, you know, go back to the other topics too. And, uh, you know, check out whatever you want to check out when you want to check it out. Uh, that's one of the things I, I always wanted from shows, so I wanted to provide that for you. Uh, we also have a Patreon and a sponsors account for, this, for the channel and the show if you'd like to contribute in that way. So if you want to become a patron of on Patreon or sponsors, either one is totally fine. And if you don't like Patreon for some reason, you can use sponsors and vice versa. Totally fine. And you get the same benefits when doing either one. You can actually uh, sponsors is pretty cool because there's a lot of cool features that are adding. There's even a new like a key system they're doing it. So like I can give links to people who are subscribing on PayPal and still get access to sponsors stuff. So like even if you're not using sponsors, you can still get use you can still use the like the structure of sponsors to get rewards and stuff. Really cool concept. Anyway. Uh, so Patreon and sponsors are ways to contribute to the show. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so to benefit and help the show be to grow and to help help me make the show because it does take a lot of effort and time to make this show. Not only is it just you know recording the show, but also it's the prep of the prep, the the research, the prep, the the recording, the editing, the publishing stuff, the metadata stuff, all that you know everything that's included in the show basically takes me like. 20 hours to 30 hours a week in order to do this show. So any and all people who would like to become a patron is incredibly appreciated. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing for how many people are already being patrons to the show. So if you would like to become one of those patrons, I would very much appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so if you want to become a Patreon, you can go to tuxedo.com slash Patreon. Or if you want to do it on sponsors, you can go to tuxedo.com slash sponsors. You'll have, I'll have links in the description and on the show notes for the website um, in for both of those, and so you can just ch- pick which one you want that way. So you don't have to, you know, basically, so I don't have to say how you spell each one. And also, if you would like to contribute to the show, but you don't want to become a patron, you just want to, you know, you can do it without any cost to you by using our affiliate links, like for going to uh, tuxedo.com/affiliates. You can 
click any of those links if you're going to purchase from Amazon, for example, or if you're going to buy uh, private internet access VPN service, or you're going to buy from the Humble Bundle or whatever. If you use the links in the page, tuxshows.com slash affiliates, it will help the show and help the channel uh, that way too. Like so, even a small amount is good when there's a lot of people doing that. So, if you'd like to do it, if you'd like to contribute in that way, you can totally do that. And there's also the Destination Linux Network. So, the Destination Linux Network is a network we started to basically create an open source philosophy around a network of podcasting and chat and web YouTube channels and all sorts of things for the community. So, when I say it's for the community, I mean that there's there's so many things that we're creating, we've already created and are going to create that are benefiting. Uh, or hope to be benefit the creating what hope to benefit the create the community by creating these things and for example the forum we have the destination linux network forum and this is discourse.destinationlinux.network where you can join that forum and you can have conversations about all kinds of different things related to linux and open source as well as you know ask for help on certain topics and even if people don't have the answers for you uh, there there's people who are you know trying to help find the places to go to get that because maybe you have a very specific distro issue and you want to get help with and you don't know where to go to get it you know, maybe you know it's the distro where to go to, but right, you might not know how they expect you know bug reports to be submitted and that kind of thing. You can ask there to get help with that, and they will help guide you to do that sort of thing. So there's many different aspects of that, as well as you know tutorials. If people already have tutorials they want to share, they can do so on the forum and variety of different things. You can even have conversations and comments on any episode of any of the shows that are part of the network because every time we post a new show, there's also a thread posted on the forum to have a discussion on that. So lots of things to do on that. Uh, be sure to check it out. Des- Discourse.destinationlinux.network or you can just go to the destinationlinux.network website and click on forum. And finally this week in the housekeeping, we I teased it last week, but we have announced that uh, the launch of the DLN Mumble server. So the Destination Linux network now has a Mumble server. If you're not aware what a Mumble server is, it's essentially an open source alternative to Discord. So it is a voice chat technology that allows you to connect to the server and have conversations with anybody on the server. And this is a a great thing because I'm actually on the server quite a bit. If you like to have a conversation with me outside of the show or you know, outside of comments and outside of whatever, feel free to join it. Uh, there's the you know it's it's a really cool thing. We're also going to be start doing some streaming on uh, using that as the server. We're going to be doing well streaming games and streaming whatever. And we'll be using that server to communicate with those things. And also, if you become, you know, do with a community gaming night and that kind of thing, you can join the Mumble server to be a part of that and variety of different other things. So, if you would like to join that, you can go to mumble.destinationlinux.network and you'll find a page that explains how to do it. There's going to be a quick start guide if you're already familiar with Mumble. And if you're not familiar with Mumble, there'll be an in depth guide that's on the forum, which will also be, you know, you'll be linked to that from the Mumble page. I think that's it for the housekeeping, and uh, yeah, so let's get to the rest of the show. Up next in the show, Ubuntu 19.10 beta has been released. You can check out all the uh, new things that are in Ubuntu and all the, the Ubuntu flavors like Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie, Kubuntu, Lubuntu, Zubuntu, etc. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, well, technically, it's a little scattered depending on which distribu- which flavor you're talking about, so I'll have as many as I can that have something to talk about. Sometimes they don't actually have anything to that are, it's just like an announcement that the beta is there rather than the actual details of it. But we do have some details from some of them. 
Uh, we're not going to go into all the, all the details for every single flavor and every single district because there's so many of them and there's so much stuff in most of them that we don't really have time to it, and especially considering it's a beta. We'll talk about what the Ubuntu 1910 actually releases. We'll talk about the more in-depth stuff, but as an overview, Ubuntu's uh, GNOME version, the, the proper version, is ha- going to be upgraded to GNOME 3.34. Uh, ZFS support will be improved. NVIDIA support directly in the ISO will be, we talked about that previous in a previous episode, uh, but the uh, they also did a new theme design with a light version of the Yaru theme. There were reports that the Yaru theme light version was going to be the default for Ubuntu 19.10, but that was not that is not the case. It's not going to be default. It's just going to be available if someone wants to use it, which I think is the best option because I think the hybrid version of the dark the dark uh, title bar and the you know side panels different color uh, of the you know like depending on the file manager or whatever application you're using, I think that's a better approach for default, and then have a dark mode and a light mode or like a very light mode as an option for people who want that. So I would prefer, I think that's a good idea what they're doing, you know? So also next we're going to talk about Ubuntu budgie and Ubuntu budgie has uh, a lot of different updates to it. We're going to talk about that in more depth later, but uh, one of the things I want to talk about is they're doing a lot of accessibility stuff to improve the way that, you know, people can deal if they have like visually impaired, how they can utilize the, the distribution easier. They've added by default a screen magnifier and on-screen keyboard, as well as making improvements to their uh, shortcuts for zooming in and out of the different systems stuff. So that's pretty cool. And an Ubuntu Mate has been doing a ton of testing and uh, quality uh, assurance, quality improvements to the system. So for 1910, is going to be like a massive paper cut improvement system. So like, okay, that's kind of a weird way to say it, but Paper cuts are a thing where you have these really tiny things that are not necessarily big deals. They're all really tiny and just a little annoying, but have them all together and it becomes this big mess that you, it just, it's irritating. So that's the kind of thing that happens in every project and every piece of software. There's always going to be something little small that's just going to irritate a few people. But if you have a ton of those things, you know, it's going to irritate a lot of people. So what they, they spent most of 1910 doing a paper cut effort to focus on fixing things around the window manager, the panel and the indicators. And these are the main, like main touching points of the desktop environment that users interact with. So they've been trying to uh, solve and remove all the paper cuts or as many as they can regarding those pieces of the system, which is awesome. And they also got some new uh, testers who decided to contribute to the distribution and they got like a big batch of testers, which is really awesome because even if someone isn't a developer and isn't a designer and isn't someone who's that, if you like a distribution and you want to help it improve, just become a tester for them. Just be willing to, I mean, technically, you, if you only have one computer, that might not be the best idea, unless you have a, a really beefy computer and you can put it in a virtual machine, or you have a flexi dock like I do, where you can have multiple systems on the same machine. If you're not aware what the flexi dock is, I'll have a link in the show notes to the flexi dock. I did a video on it, actually. Really good, uh, really good video, if I must say so myself. Anyway, so if you wanted to become a tester for the distribution, it would actually be very beneficial and helpful to those distributions to improve because the more testers they have, the better they can get it to be for everybody else who's not a tester. They also have fixes for the locking screen on resume from suspend, adding medium information extension to the file manager, and many more things. We're going to talk more in depth about Ubuntu Mate 
because it's one of those it's one of the versions of the flavors of the district of the Ubuntu releases that's got a lot of stuff coming and a lot of stuff done. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Uh, and also check out the latest episode of Destination Linux where we talk about uh, the same, you know, the the betas for Ubuntu and even specifically Ubuntu Mate because they've been doing a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, check out the links in the show notes for all of these things and the latest episode of Destination Linux, which includes stuff about the Ubuntu Mate stuff. So yeah, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Solid XK distribution. So Solid XK has released 10, uh, you know, Solid XK 10. And it's based on Debian Buster 10.1. It has the uh, kernel version 4.19, which is the latest version for Debian Buster. It has a new uh, feature for the live ISO because it can now be booted with localization support, which is really cool. So you can have different languages uh, directly in the live ISO. They have a new Grub2 theme that makes it look better than the previous version. They also have done uh, some rebuilding from scratch for their USB creator tool. They say that it improves the stability, speed, and maintainability which is nice. Uh, They changed the Solid XK Firefox settings to improve some user privacy features. Uh, This is done through their own custom uh, Firefox-SolidXK-Adjustments package. But if you don't want to use them, you can just delete or purge that package, and if you don't need it, you can just go back to regular Firefox. if, If you like the way that they change it, you can use that if you want to. They've also fixed some bugs and, you know, general performance improvements and that kind of thing. So it's really cool. If you're not aware of Solid XK, it's a distribution that is focused on uh, stability releases, and they have a two main branches of DE support. So they have Solid X, which is the XFCE, and they have Solid K, which is the KDE Plasma version. So if you are interested in having a Debian-based distribution that has uh, KDE or XFCE as their main DE that also heavily focus on the, the stable releases. Uh, that's a, an option to check out. So Solid XK10, I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is another distribution release, and that is Laka 2.3 has been released. So Laka is a lightweight Linux distribution that transforms a small computer into a full-blown retro gaming console. It's built on the, t- on the f- on top of the famous RetroArch emulator. It's basically like the official distribution for RetroArch. And ra- they, they've in this particular release, they've done a lot of things. So first of all, they've added support for the Raspberry Pi 4. They've added support for the GPI case, and it's which is uh, the GPI case is a Game Boy inspired case for the Raspberry Pi Zero and Zero W. And they made a special image of Laka. So uh, starting from version 2.3, made for that specific case. So that it's, if you have, well, the reason why they have it for the case, it's because the case also has like its own buttons and everything. So they needed to have um, stuff set up for the input mapping and all that kind of thing. So they have input mapping and safe shutdown are automatically taken care of with this uh, special image of Laka. They also added support for Rock Pro 64. Now, technically, it's not new that they did this in this version, but this is the first stable release of that port since it was made. So, technically, Rock Pro 64 was already available, but it's not, it wasn't a stable release. Now it is, so that's cool. If you have a Rock Pro 64, you might want to check out Laka on it. Rock Pro 64, if you're not aware, is a basically a competitor to the Raspberry Pi 4, which is created by the Pine 64 people who are also making the Pine Book Pro and the Pine Phone and the Pine Tab and the Pine Time and all the other stuff. You know, that's also what they do. Rock Pro, uh, Rock 64, Rock Pro 64, those things like the the system on a chip stuff, boards and stuff, they've been doing that longer than these new products that they're doing. Uh, just FYI. 
Also, uh, I think the most impressive feature, we're going to talk about some more features later on, but the most impressive feature is the real-time translation of text in games. Let me, let me, let me re, you know, reiterate that. Real-time translation of text in games. You can translate your games on the fly as you play the game. So once set up on your locker box, you'll be able to press the AI key, a hotkey, to have the system scan the screen for any foreign language text. Once recognized, the text is translated and re-stitched uh, re re in or whatever in multiple ways uh, back to you depending on the current mode that you set. So this 2.3 release of Laka doesn't really express how important it is based on the version number because it seems like it's just a point release, but there's a lot of cool stuff in here, especially this. This is ridiculous. So they have two different modes in this. They have the speech mode, which is the translated text is read back to you using text-to-speech. As in, the game isn't interrupted in this mode. That allows you to have the game dialogues read to you in your language as if someone is sitting next to you translating the game for you. And they have an image mode. In image mode, this is the, the original text is replaced by the translated text on screen while the game is paused to give you time to read. So this is really interesting. Uh, I can't wait to try this out because I just want to see how this works because of how, like, just how ridiculous this is. That you have on like real time, even like the text to speech mode where it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't slow the game down. Uh, that's pretty cool because it just like tells you what it is. So it's kind of like dubbing it, sort of. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they also have changed some things for different emulators. So they have Parallel N64 and Moopin 64 Plus cores were replaced by the new core, which is Moopin 64 Plus Dash Next, which I'm pretty sure is the combination of those teams working on one core, uh, which is improvement because Moopin 64 is one of the best that I've ever used. It like it. There was a, there's been many, you know, J64 and all that. So there's are in Project 64. There's been many. And Movement 64 has always been the best one. So to have another team work and improve Movement 64 and make Movement 64 Plus Dash Next is really awesome. There's also another thing that happened in this one, and that is Rycast, which is a Dreamcast emulator, has been replaced by Flycast, which is also a Dreamcast emulator. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this is because Flycast is something we talked about in episode 79 of This Week in Linux when we talked about their uh, announcement that they no longer require you to have certain files directly from a Dreamcast machine, that you had to get these uh, blobs from the machine, and that's how you had to play the game. Those That's no longer necessary with Flycast. So that's why Laka has replaced Rycast with Flycast, making Laka even more awesome of an option for anybody who wants to do retro gaming. So there's that and also so much more that is in this announcement. It's hard for me to cover everything because there's a lot of stuff, but I did cover the really big things, especially the real-time translation stuff is just awesome. So yeah, if you'd like to learn more about this or if you want to check out Laka, uh, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is an interesting application I found recently called SafeEyes. SafeEyes is a way to protect yourself from eye strain. It basically reminds you to take breaks with exercises to reduce RSI. RSI means repetitive strain injury. Now, there's also an application that KDE makes called RSI Break, and it's been around for a very long time, which makes you, you know, for the same kind of thing. But I think this application gives a little bit more polish to it and also does a lot more features like giving you exercises, whereas the other one just says take a break, you know, walk away kind of thing, whereas this one has, like, exercises built into it. 
So the features include uh, disabling keyboard during breaks if you want. So like there's a, you know, people who sometimes wouldn't be able to stop. It's kind of like, you know, not necessarily an addicted to the computer. You know, I'm not addicted to the computer or nothing. But people who don't want to stop using the computer even when their break starts, this allows you to force yourself. Like it's not going to force you to do this. You can not do this if you want to. But you can force yourself to not allow the keyboard to work during that period of time, making yourself do the thing you want to do, you know, take a break. So it also has a notification system before and after breaks. It has a smart pause if the system is idle. So it won't do the pausing if you're not using the computer. It won't do the breaking system stuff. It also has multi-screen support, a customizable user interface with like custom CSS structure to stylize it. You also have RPC API to control externally, which is really cool. Uh, command line arguments to control the running instance and customizable using plugins. It's a very, very interesting uh, project. And it's actually even more interesting to me because I have con- I have uh, worked with uh, Gobanath, who makes this project, on another project and had no idea he made this project until this week when I decided to talk about it in the show. So that's cool. I'm not- Next time, tell me you're making stuff like this, man. Anyway, so this is Safe Eyes. Uh, protect yourself from eye strain. If you want to check it out, I have a link to the GitHub page in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the beta release for KDE Plasma 5.17. There's actually quite a few things that are coming in this release that I will talk about when it actually does fully release. Because I had a hand in a few of these things. Um, Not a lot. You know, just here and there, suggestions, improvements for things that could be fixed. Including something that I've been wanting for years. That at one point Plasma had, and then arbitrarily, randomly removed it for no reason. But it's coming back. So I'll talk about that when it does happen. Uh, But in uh, Plasma 5.17, they've added a new Do Not Disturb mode automatic enabling for when you're mirroring screens, like when you're delivering a presentation. That's pretty cool. Uh, They also did some stuff where they improved the notification widget, so it now uses an icon style, like you know, identifying when there's new um, new notifications rather than doing like just a number of unread notifications. Because once it gets to 99, it just stops there. And not really that helpful because I can't really, like, in my panel, I have the 5.16 version. And I can't really see what the number is anyway. So it doesn't really matter that it gives me the number. Um, Just because it's just not something I'm really focusing on. So I have to, like, look really closely. Like, okay, sure. I have 66 notifications if you're wondering. Anyway, uh, also, uh, there's there's a new Unsplash Picture of the Day source for wallpapers which is really cool because Unsplash is a website that has really nice wallpapers and you can set it up as your wallpaper source. So it will automatically change the picture of the day using that, which is pretty nice. Uh, they've also made it where you can paste text into a sticky note by and stripping the formatting by default of whatever you posted. So instead of, if you have HTML code, it will just remove the code. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if you're not aware, for some reason, Plasma has a sticky note system. Honestly, I don't even know why these exist. Like, a sticky note, I get why sticky notes exist. I don't get why virtual sticky notes exist for your desktop. I don't get that. Like, just make a text file. Make a a note app. Use it in a note application, like Joplin or Standard Notes or something like that. I don't know. But if if you want to check it out, you can middle-click on your desktop, and whatever you have copied on your clipboard will be pasted into a sticky note in Plasma. 
I suggest they get rid of that as a default because it's a weird default that basically no one uses and accidentally will activate sometimes and go, what is this? When they could just right-click, go to Configure Desktop, change that setting to Application Menu, so when you middle-click on the desktop, it actually says shows a bunch of application stuff like Openbox. So it's, instead of having your going to your Start Menu it, or Main Menu or whatever, it would do it where wherever your mouse is in a nice quick layout, and it's you know it's pretty nice and it's built into Plasma, but for some reason it's not on by default because sticky notes. That's a side tangent for no reason. So let's move on for the next thing. Uh, there's actually another feature that I want to talk about that is really awesome. That is called Night Color, and that is basically red shifting or night mode, so that when you uh, at nighttime it doesn't show you like the full brightness of your screen and doesn't show you like it removes blue light so it's easier on your eyes for circadian is it called circadian rhythms I, I think it's what it's called um, and it just makes it easier for you know going to bed at, at a reasonable time so you're because the, it's been shown that or at least the, there's studies that show that uh, blue light in your like on your eyes constantly will keep you awake and by removing the blue to a point, you know, it's not like it turns everything red. It just it just dims down the amount of blue that's being used and lowers the brightness. It makes it easier for you to go to sleep and, you know, less strain on your eyes and that kind of thing. So that's a really cool feature that is coming to it. They actually used to already have it in Plas in a Wayland version of Plasma. I think 5.15 added it in Wayland. Maybe it was 5.16 added it. I don't know. Uh, but... They are now adding it for X11 desktop users, which is fantastic because, you know, pretty much everybody still uses X11 because Wayland's not ready yet. As soon as it will be, I look forward to that day. But at the at the moment. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Plasma 5.17 beta and you want to test it out for, you know, give feedback or whatever before they release it, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Humble Bundle section. So... I have been covering Humble Bundle for the past couple of episodes because they keep making really cool bundles, so I just want to keep covering them because they're cool. They're like good deals and cool things. Like, for example, this one is a tech and electronics books. Uh, by It's a bundle by the Make Magazine, I think. And it's Make colon, I think that's related to Make Magazine. Anyway, so they have Make, uh, Maker Projects Guide, Schools Out for Summer, summer Fun Guide, Three Glasses Compatible Book, uh, Make Electronics, Encyclopedia of Electronic Components, Volume 1, Make Things Talk, uh, Best of Make, Volume 2, and so many things, so many other things like analog synthesizers, technology on your time with uh, many volumes of that. They also have Volume 2 and 3 of the Encyclopedia of Electronics Components and many, many more things like wearable electronics and so on. So there's a lot of cool stuff in here. If you're interested in doing any kind of like building stuff and you want to do like, you know, projects where you, you make something, you know, with electronics or components and stuff, that would be something to check out because it, it gives you, you know, tips and tricks of how to do stuff as well as like guides on specific uh, projects to do if you want. So that's the Behama Bundle will be linked in the show notes below and also in the, des in the uh, description as well. If you notice, every time I try to say description, I somehow start saying Destination Linux. I don't know. It's been happening. If you didn't notice it, now I've told you. <laughs> so let's move on to the next bundle because there's a couple more bundles as well. And the next one is the, spe the One Special Day bundle, which is for games. And these are really cool cool games because there's a couple in here that are definitely worth it. But there are a couple games in here that are not Linux related. And I didn't 
look at them because one, I didn't check if they were uh, proton compatible because it's a cat dating simulator called Perfect Date or something. I don't know, Perfect Date, uh, whatever. If you want, if you're interested in that, feel free to check it out. But there's uh, Broken Age, uh, Swords of Ditto, Bomber Crew. All of these are support for Linux, as well as the two uh, games that are at the, the highest tier for Tannenberg, which is a really cool like World War II. I think it's World War II, it might be World War One um, style uh, shooting game, and also Dirt Four for if you are into racing games. So both of those are available for I'm pretty sure like ten dollars which is a very good deal for those. So check it out with the one special date bundle uh, for uh, links in the show in the show notes as well as in the description below. And also there's another bundle which is really cool and very applicable to this episode, or this show anyway, and that's the Linux and Unix books by O'Reilly. So there's classic shell scripting, uh, Linux device drivers, introducing regular expressions, grep pocket reference learning gnu emacs unix power tools bash shell vim uh, linux in a nutshell sed and awk bash cookbook so many more things lots of different books related to linux and unix and if you're interested in learning more about the like the ins and outs and how it all works and if you're also if you're interested about doing shell scripting and you want a guide to learn that quickly uh, these might be good for that uh, you know there's also you know you get all these all the books that are learning stuff you could you know find tutorials online but if you want a nice collection of books or if you prefer to learn through books, this is a good way to do it. And, uh, yeah, so we'll have a link to all of these bundles in the show notes below. And before we move on, to the, I want to let you know that all of those links are affiliate links. So if you would like to uh, purchase any of these bundles, I would appreciate it if you were use these affiliate links because basically it gives a, per- a commission, a small commission, to the Tux Digital channel and to this podcast if you were to use those links. So it would be very helpful if you were to do that uh, because, you know, the more people who, if you, wanted, if you wanted to buy these bundles anyway, and if you use the affiliate links to, you, to get them, it does help a lot for the channel. So please do so. And uh, thank you in advance for doing so. So, yeah, link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. That way you can avoid um, like custom taxes, stuff like that. Uh, you still have, it pay, And also VAT is included in the, the value that's listed, so there's that too. And, but if, if you want to contribute to the, the channel and the show without any cost to you, you can do so by using our affiliate links. You can find places for like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And also be sure to check out the Destination Linux Network to find out more about this show and the other shows a part of the network, as well as join the Mumble server and the Destination Linux Network forum. Uh, it's at the at discourse.destinationlinux.network where you can have uh, you can have conversations about you know re- regarding Linux in general, or if you have any tech support questions you need help with, or you want to share some tutorial information you have, anything like that. Uh, be sure to join the destinationlinux.network forum. So. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.